We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of The Children on June 13th, 1980. It was written by Carlton J. Albright and Edward Terry, directed by Max Kalmanowicz, and released by World Northal, and later acquired by Troma just before its DVD release 25 years later. New Line Cinema passed on the opportunity to distribute this film. I can't imagine why. No, I'm not sure. World Northal was originally Northal Films, founded by Albert Schwartz, and then changed its name and logo in the mid-70s to something closely resembling the New World Pictures logo with that AT&T ball as the O. I'm not sure if that was on purpose to throw off potential filmgoers, because World Pictures, New World Pictures are better than World North, yeah. Northal Pictures. Is it, is it saying Norfolk? Northal. Like... <laughs> Like, like if you didn't like, know how to say northern, and yeah, you, and you were like a, <laughs> it's English more it's more northal, language. it's northal kind of west westal northal. I can't imagine why they changed that. Uh, most northal logos are found at the head of English dubs of Shaw Brothers movies. Since acquiring the film, Trauma has made it available in its entirety for free on YouTube, and it's a beautiful high definition, proper aspect ratio display compared to the DVD that we initially watched. The film score may sound familiar it's not entirely dissimilar from friday the 13th because both films were composed by harry manfredini this film actually shot a few weeks in advance and it had the same like camera crew and sound crew i think that the score actually in addition to sounding like friday the 13th sounds a lot like psycho he's definitely aping psycho in a lot of it yeah Yeah. but yeah the film also shares a couple grips sound crew and cinematographer barry abrams In exchange for access to the cemetery, the production was asked to make a donation to a charity on behalf of the cemetery's caretakers, and for access to one of the houses they filmed in, the homeowner's daughter was employed as a production assistant for the film. Oh, well, that's how you do it. Yeah, it worked. Ellen and Tommy, two of the film's five titular children, are Sarah and Nathaniel Albright, children of writer-producer Carlton Albright. Uh, Evidently, Kevin McCarthy was considered for a role and passed. I don't know what that would have been. Uh, I mean, I, I assume, the sheriff? I, I don't know if I would have put him, I wouldn't have put him as the sheriff. But he, he would have been the age for the sheriff, I think, in this. Who's Kevin McCarthy? Uh, he was the campaign manager from Hero at Large, and he's the bad guy in UHF. Okay. Mr. Reynolds. He was in inner space. He's the, the guy he running the corporation. He yells a lot. Yeah. Good, that guy. Got it. <laughs> Originally, co-writer Edward Terry, who also plays Hank in the film, was slated to direct but for whatever reason, Max Kalmanowicz took the reins, and it caused a rift between the two that wasn't made up until 1989 when they worked together on Luther the Geek. But apparently, everybody had a pretty big problem with Max, and nobody nobody liked the director <laughs> during the making of this film. It was released in some markets as The Children of Raven's Back, which might be a better title. I think that's a very... Uh, as soon as they said Raven's Back, I was like, is that the name of the town? That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think that accounts for the logo i had a, had a hard time with the logo for the children <laughs> we'll get to that okay <laughs> um 
In 2006, the year after Troma released the DVD, possibly not a coincidence, a musical adaptation was composed and had a short run off-off Broadway with music by Hal Goldberg and book and lyrics by Stan Richardson. I tried for hours to find any music I could cut in here, but I'm sorry to say I am empty-handed. I don't understand there is, how this could be a musical. <laughs> I don't either, but there is a an actual cast recording album, but it's impossible to get a hold of. The closest I could get was a track listing, and a couple that gave me a chuckle were songs called I Paint Portraits and Harry the Hawk. <laughs> Presumably a reference to the character repeatedly shown painting in the midst of the chaos, mm-hmm. and the Harry the, the deputy, who refers in, in only one scene to himself as Harry the Hawk. So yeah. was this based on a larger work of some no. sort? No. It's really weird to me. I be- guarantee you that this person rented it from Trauma and immediately started writing the musical because it was just like, this would be funny. Well, but I mean, even just the way the movie plays out, it feels like there's so much that is like cut out or not shown or like there's so much backstory that we aren't going into for that they all don't of bother these. to explain yeah, yeah it's really weird so we start with the albright films logo in the sky and then we tilt down onto a gas storage facility playing the part of a nuclear power plant two employees appear to be giving up on finding the source of a leak <laughs> and uh they're headed out for lunch because they're certain they won't be paid for any overtime after we see them leave, we zoom back through the gates into the plant and creep slowly up on a leak at a junction of valves. There's no way they would have missed this if yeah. they had checked the whole length of the pipe, but apparently they are underpaid. Because you also would have noticed this gigantic cloud of vapor yes. yellow emerging. smoke is billowing up. Yeah, the part that bothers me about this leak is it's clearly not a new leak. There is... Uh, yeah, it's like, corrosion. It's dark. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's corroded. So this yellow smoke is billowing up from this puddle of radioactive waste. The smoke fills the screen, and then an illustration of the words, the children fills frame, inexplicably composed of bird limbs. Yeah. Like, there's definitely <laughs> a claw at the end of one of these Yeah, there's letters. so much about this logo that bothers me. It's it's made up of weird talons. Yeah. Uh, and it also appears to be, like... Uh, Poorly hand-drawn. Yeah, like hand-drawn, like a red pencil sketch. You know yeah. how you do, uh, like red pencil before you would go over and and outline it for your final this this seems like a draft to me they didn't even use the final draft of their own title illustration we'll just use this one where did the the finished one go i don't know just shoot this one and we're done but yes a school bus exits a freeway onto a small country road and six students aboard the bus are singing three bottles of beer on the wall as they I thought they were singing, like, Hail to the Bus Driver. First, they're singing this. Okay. They drop one lucky child off. (laughs) Then they cross a covered bridge and then switch to here. Here is to the bus driver. Which Uh, I always thought was Hail to the Bus Driver. Either way, I feel like most of the bus driver songs are not complimentary to the bus driver, <laughs> but uh, this one was just like, oh, you're so great. Good job, bus driver. I had bus drivers that I liked. Yeah, yeah but I like you still make fun of them in a friendly way. No. You just, when I was a kid, it was always like, no, when I never had a bus driver. You never was, had a bus driver? No. I lived across the street from the school. I guess. The bus driver passes a sign that reads, three miles to Ravensback, and we're coming around a corner 
and suddenly a VW bug taps their horn to signal intent to pass the bus. The bus driver waves at Kathy Fremont, the mother of one of the students on the bus, as she's pulling around, and then the bug and the bus disappear into a cloud of yellow smoke blowing across the road. We cut to Sheriff Billy Hart, who is saddled up at the bar of Collins Diner, which is one of those cool trolley car diners. He's talking to a waitress who's asking when he's going to man up and ask her out because she's dying for a ride in his crappy police cruiser. <laughs> it's just like a run-of-the-mill police car. Mm-hmm. This will be special. instant number one of, there seems like there's more story here that we never get to. Well, yeah. it's funny, too, because we have a scene kind of like this in Friday the 13th where there's the, the guy who owns the camp that's just, like, flirting with the woman at the diner for no reason. It's just an extra scene to kind of flesh out the story. The cop leaves. He says he'll pick her up when she's off at 10 o'clock tonight. And uh, when he tries to pay the bill, she says, just don't be late. So she's she's paying for his food here. He pulls out of the lot and he heads down the same road the bus did. And another young officer it can be seen chatting up a girl that's selling fruits and vegetables on the side of the road. But ever since the interstate came to town, they're, they're not getting as many customers at this right. little fruit stand. The sheriff passes them both and gives a knowing wave to the deputy before the the girl's dad also drives by on a tractor and announces he'll be home for supper i don't think he is home for supper i don't think he comes back in the film at all yeah he does the dad on the tractor he does yeah yeah it, later in the barn scene because he finds paul oh the, right that's yeah. the same guy okay mm-hmm. when everyone else is gone the younger cop tries to talk the girl back into the empty house <laughs> but uh she's being hesitant with him don't you know about the farmer's daughter? Yeah. Not with the farmer's daughter. But also, your boss just caught you, like, screwing around when you're on duty. Maybe... He also didn't seem to care much. <laughs> but maybe don't go yeah. back to the house. Uh, Hart finds the abandoned school bus parked diagonally across a lane of traffic with its nose buried in the woods on the side of the road. Seemingly, we have a POV shot from inside because it's, like, handheld and shaky and tipping back and forth. But it's clear once the sheriff gets into the bus that it's supposed to be empty of people. Though the seats are littered with backpacks, workbooks, and weirdly an issue of Newsweek with a headline about the state of horror movies in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's weird, like, as, as first of all, like, it's very suspicious that you find the bus running and empty, but as he's going through the kids' things, he's smiling. Like, Is he? Yeah, it was like, well, why are you smiling as you're searching this? You should be calling for help right now. Yeah. Sheriff Hart pulls the keys from the still running bus and then in another POV from the cemetery across the street we watch through headstones as the police cruiser pulls away back down the road. I feel like you would radio this in and call for someone else to come. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, why aren't you calling this in? Immediately close off the area. Well, and start calling back to some sort of station so that they can alert all of these children's parents. Like, do you have your children? Where are they? Keep an eye out. Call me if you find them. But instead, he decides he's gonna t- he's gonna touch base with each parent one by one on his own, starting it's more with, efficient. <laughs> yeah, starting with the one that's a hundred yards down the road here. So uh, he pulls over near the next covered bridge and he walks along a fence into Mrs. Button's backyard, or I guess it's Doctor Gould's house. Yeah, so it's it's Joyce Gould, but Leslie Button. Yeah, who's so, there? Yeah, Doctor Joyce Gould is a doctor who seems to have a woman in her care by the name of Miss Button, who is the mother of one of the children. 
This was terribly confusing. It's it's so convoluted. It doesn't need to be this complicated. This was another reason that I thought it was taken, like derived from a larger work, a book or something yeah. that you were cutting scenes out of because there seems to be so much backstory yeah. to everyone is really hostile to the sheriff. Yeah, jo- Joyce is the worst. Though. Yeah, she's so mean. I put that, my note is Joyce is mean. Yeah. <laughs> So, but when he first walks in, so he didn't like go up to the front door and knock. He just walked around to the back of their house where she was sunbathing in the yard, and in, in, uh, in, in just like in the her, shade of but, trees. but also just in her underwear, like not in like a bathing suit yeah. or anything, like just in her underwear, which is fine. I mean, you can do whatever you want; it's your property. But yeah, it does seem kind of weird. I mean, all of these things feel like they are referencing that this is country life in yeah. general. That, it's okay that the kids aren't home and the parents sunbathe in their underwear in the backyard. Yeah. So he asks if Miss Button is home and she says she is, but she's not feeling well. And a Doberman named Queen will not stop barking over this entire scene. Is it that she's not feeling well? Because she seems like... Medicated. Yeah. <laughs> well, when she goes medicated. in, she tells her to take more coding. Yeah. Yeah. So th- I, I, and I actually think that uh, Joyce here might actually be the owner of the dog in this scene because i mean maybe she's just a really good actress but it was very convincing when she was yelling at the dog to shut up (laughs) during the scene like i feel like she was like oh my dog can be in this scene right and they were like i guess and then it wouldn't stop barking she's like (laughs) this is the same tone that she takes with the sheriff that's true (laughs) maybe that's just how she acts uh she i have here dr gould has no chill uh she (laughs) she steps inside to help miss button and slams the screen in the sheriff's face with an angry look I'll be with you in a minute. Even with Sheriff Hart standing five feet away outside the screen, Miss Button is still asking, who is here? Who is that? So she does seem, at the very least, like, out of it, if not Mm -hmm. actually medicated. What is this backstory? It never comes into play that she is off or being medicated. She doesn't even get away from this piano. (laughs) Um, I, I I thought that this was her older daughter and that when she's asking about her sibling... So I thought, and that she was asking about her sibling. It wasn't until just now that you said that this is the mother, and I was like, "Oh, that makes a little more sense." Yeah, but it's still really weird. Why Doctor Gould is hanging out there, unless yeah. they're lovers? But I don't know that. How do you know that she's the mother? Because her last name is Button, and the child's last name is Button, not oh. Gould. Okay. But if they were siblings, they would also still have the last. But name. later, someone refers to this as the Gould House. So Miss Button is a patient of Miss Gould staying at the house. With her son? Okay. I guess, yeah. I don't know. This so doesn't make any sense. Dr. Gould dumps a handful of codeine in her gullet so she can catch <laughs> some more some more rays in the backyard. No, she doesn't, though. Yeah. She hands her the bottle and says, you should take you some take more codeine. Like, if she's really as out of it as we think gonna she is. You're going to trust her to medicate herself. Yeah, maybe help her out a little. Also, maybe don't leave the bottle of pills there on the piano where she is all day while you're unconscious in the backyard. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so <laughs> she... Uh, Miss Button maybe takes some of the pills. She's holding the bottle for a second, but then we cut to the sheriff looking through the screen at her as she plays a surprisingly good section of piano music for mm-hmm. someone as heavily medicated as she is. And he just shakes his head disapprovingly at her music. <laughs> I don't understand why. What is the backstory here? I want to know more. He takes Gould, Dr. Gould, back to the bus where she climbs on board and collects all of Tommy's things and says... I, I grabbed this stuff, and then he says, Is everything you had with him today? I guess so. Like, really <laughs> angrily in his face. 
and so he goes back to the car and he radios timmons the the deputy that was flirting with the girl and he's still there at the girl's house and he says have you seen any cars come through and he's like nope nothing i haven't seen anything so the sheriff says set up a roadblock at the interstate don't let anybody through and uh he kisses the girl goodbye and he goes to set up the roadblock dr gould says she doesn't know how to break it to leslie and he says maybe don't break it to leslie leslie is the mother of the of the missing child tommy i just don't know how leslie's gonna take it when she finds out tommy's missing don't tell her that's one way to deal with it like really mad that he even suggested it but this woman's you know she's not gonna understand what's going on anyway let's just resolve this first and then let her know what happened but uh, after the sheriff leaves she notices tommy in the cemetery across the street so she runs up to talk to him as she's calling after him and as she's moving through the cemetery she trips over the irradiated corpse of the bus driver <laughs> this this reveal is great yeah though the makeup on him is it's pretty cool is really great so i i just love i i wish we actually got more of it in here yeah because we have uh we have the bus driver and we see this makeup done a few more times in the film yeah but it it's just so great this is this is everything to this film yeah and so i feel like they should have just stuck on this stuff more yeah the body kind of looks like you put on the glasses from they live yeah i I thought that too yes it's kind of a little bit shriveled and like this it's like a weird like the nose is missing Mm -hmm. but it's also got these like it looks like burst blisters all over Mm -hmm. it like peeling cavities of some of the some of the film reviews from critics at the time said that it looked like pepperoni was on their faces stuff like that but uh, <laughs> yeah kind of like pizza the hut yeah exactly <laughs> or pizza face from all that isn't that uh was kel the pizza face character uh, i can't remember i think it was dr gould looks up from the corpse of the bus driver to notice tommy there and she moves to hug him and his hands grasp her back with black fingernails and she starts screaming in agony now yellow smoke the same as from the radioactive waste is billowing out from between them as they're hugging she drops to the floor with the same creepy open sore blister face as the bus driver we're getting it in like it's crossfades yeah yeah it's like three or four crossfades from like normal messed up dead gross yeah it's not very well done no in terms of (laughs) editing through this scene because nobody's I mean, maybe they didn't, maybe they intended it to feel like time was passing, but nobody's in the same position as they crossfade between these makeup jobs. Yeah. The sheriff drives out to a corner store as a pair of brothers, maybe, are trying to sell birds to the store owner. Yeah. They, it looks like they tried to make these guys at least look related, if not literally twins. Yeah, they, they were very, it's a very good job, because I, I thought that they were until I looked them up, and I go, oh, these guys aren't related at all. I think the younger guy literally shaved his head to look like the older guy. <laughs> all right. But. I, um, I applaud it. I think they're like 10 years apart, though, and they're supposed to be, I think they're supposed to be playing identical twins. I don't think they're supposed to be twins. I think they're just brothers. But they're doing the twin thing of repeating each other and saying words at the same time. Yeah. Or I just felt like, well, maybe they are brothers, but it's it's weird whatever they're doing here. I mean, you can you can be non-identical twins. Yeah. You can you can be twins and not be identical. That is the thing too. Right, but if you're <laughs> if you're writing a script, you don't write two non-identical twins who look practically the same. <laughs> maybe you don't. Maybe you the script yeah. is special. Okay. 
<laughs> but anyway, they, it seems like they've uh, killed some birds and they're trying to sell them to Molly, who runs this corner store. And, she, and taxidermy shop, apparently. Yeah. Well, she, I would have called it a liquor and gun store because that's sure. all we see them really selling there. Right. But she doesn't, uh, she doesn't seem to want these birds because they're kind of crappy and tiny. But eventually, just to get them out of her face, and maybe because it's not legal, it seems like, because when the sheriff walks in, like they kind of step away from the counter like they weren't doing anything, and she wraps the birds up in newspaper and puts it under the counter. It's just There's so many moments in this movie where I'm like, there is more happening here. Everybody is so weird with the sheriff. Yeah, but he steps up to the counter, and he recruits the brothers as deputies to help with the roadblock, and they repeat each other as though they're twins multiple times but are at least 10 years apart. I didn't actually look up the age difference, but it's significant, I think. Sheriff. Sheriff. Boys. <clears throat> I need a couple of deputies for a roadblock out by the uh, interstate. You interested? Maybe. Maybe. $40 a day. County will pick up the tab. Oh, that, that sounds fine with us, Sheriff. That's okay with us, Sheriff. Molly, the store owner, asks how serious the situation is, and uh, she agrees that Fred would never leave the motor running. That's <laughs> she interesting. Fred's mom? I think, I think it's his wife. It's his wife? Because she, she, she refers to him like as my dear Fred or something like that later on. He, yeah, but she Could also said, too. one of the comments she said is, he, oh, he's practically a child himself. It just no, felt you more say like that a about mom. me all yeah, the time. Yeah, I, I guess. No. Okay, fair enough. Could be a wife. Could be a mom. Who knows? But but I like the whole, that whole line of is like we found the school bus and the children gone and and Fred gone and the engine running. I was like, that doesn't sound like Fred to leave the engine running. I was like, what about the missing kid? Yeah. <laughs> I could see him absconding with children, but he wouldn't leave the bus running. He'd bring the key with him. That's his getaway vehicle. John enters the store now to order another can of ether. I picture him outside like Homer with the gasohol. <laughs> one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. That's what I thought that they were implying. It's like she's like another can of ether. It was like, oh, this is like the town like drug addict. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm sure your car broke down again, John. Wink, <laughs> wink. Get out of my store. <laughs> you want a beer? No thanks. How about some ether? <laughs> But seriously, you could just walk in and buy a can of ether, like yeah, right the off 80s. the shelf in the eighties. Oh my god, the eighties were great. And I, I, and I guess I don't know how ether works because he's just spraying it on his car like it's Lysol. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it smells terrible in here. I'm gonna make it smell like ether. Though now I am picturing Richard Lysoling the engine of his car. <laughs> this is what you do. It's so dirty in here. The sheriff asks about John's kids and learns that Clarky stayed home with the cold, but Jenny went to school. Uh, John heads home to tell Kathy about this whole the bus business while the sheriff decides he's going to head over to Dee Dee Shore's house. <laughs> Dee Dee Shore. I don't understand this character at all. <laughs> Dee Dee Shore is... She could be the mayor. She could be a senator. We have no she idea. She could be a billionaire. I don't understand this woman. She's got an amazing chandelier, which we'll get to oh, later. I thought you are going to compliment her rack in this next scene. <laughs> um, Molly tries to radio Fred after everyone leaves the store. Again, Sheriff wanders around the house into the backyard to find Miss Shore topless by the pool and sunbathing. 
and nearby her husband or maybe a pool boy is just lifting a barbell. But they have different first and last name. Well, first names, but different <laughs> last first and last names. That'd be weird <laughs> if they had the same first name but different last names. <laughs> yeah, they have they have different last names. I mean, perhaps I mean, you've met my husband Dee Dee something else. <laughs> Richard, I don't know if you've met Patrick and me. We have different first and last names as well. That's, That's so true. crazy. What are the odds? <laughs> but anyway, this this guy is ripped to shreds, but not like the radiation victims. Like he's just got he's got abs for days. Apparently, like the the director or one of the screenwriters literally met him like at his gym and he was like will you play a random character in this movie that we're doing? And so that's why he comes in for just this one scene. Um, or I guess he's back a little bit later. He asks them if their daughters come home from school yet, and they joke, Is Janet at home? Isn't she a little young for you, Sheriff? She's only nine. This was another, like, really big, like, red flag of, like, what is what is the backstory with this sheriff? Like, I just assume maybe everybody's hostile to him because he's some sort of, like, child predator. Yeah, we're going to find out at the end that he just got out of prison this year. Right, yeah. and they are blaming him for all the missing children. But, like, no, there's just no explanation for why everyone's so mean to this like, guy. You're not fooling anyone, sheriff. Just tell us where you put my children. Like, no <laughs> one's worried or scared about it. But uh, Jack, the husband slash pool boy, has not seen her, and neither has Mom. Uh, they complain that she's always lurking around the house. Yeah. Their nine-year-old daughter is always lurking around the house. This is so weird. It's not that they don't know where she is, but maybe she's home. She's just lurking around. Like, like Who knows? She's a weirdo, that kid. Yeah, it seems like her mom has like straight-up disdain for this child. Yeah. Well, they're clearly high on something. Yes. Because... And as the sheriff informs her that her child is missing, she just sparks up a joint right in front of him. <laughs> and she seems elated to hear that something as exciting as a mass kidnapping might have happened in Raven's back. That's so weird. But the sheriff picks up a small container that they have on their, like, table. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, this is nice. And they're like, oh, yeah, we got that on vacation. And then he opens it up and dumps all their drugs into the pool because he's like... You guys need to sober up. Your kid's missing. Mm -hmm. Ellen, one of the irradiated children from the bus, watches from the woods as John pulls over to work on his car again and continue to spray it with ether. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, ether. Do your magic. Sheriff drives up and offers a ride before John here can get hugged to death. And he helpfully noses John's car off the road before they leave. Ellen backs into the woods. A scared of the sheriff, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going near that sheriff. Yeah. That's the one character I won't go near. A mother of one of the children is laying across the couch at home with a cold pack on her head. After a knock at the door, her daughter Ellen cries, Mommy! And is greeted with a hug and is quickly roasted on the porch. The child then turns her sights on the father and says, Daddy! And he runs back into the house because he doesn't want to get burnt by his child. The kids are so giddy when they reach out for their parents yeah. to hug yeah. them. It's they're smiling creepy. and they're kind of loopy looking. Susie, the girl that the deputy was flirting with, is now at the roadblock begging Harry, the, the deputy, to kiss her. He doesn't want to do it because these weird brothers are watching him. Sounds like it's more of a cock block. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> than a roadblock. <laughs> Here's a weird scene. A car pulls up with a chauffeur asking what seems to be the problem, and then the man in the back seat rolls the window down and up between every line of dialogue for the rest (laughs) of this scene. This is Sanford Butler Jones, apparently a good friend of topless D.D. Shore. Well, at this point, I didn't remember that the topless lady was named D.D. Shore, and I'm like, 
who's Dee Dee Shore? Like, does she run she's this very town? Important. Like, she's really important. And I don't understand who this guy is relative to her. And we never find out. So to show all of the important things about him at the same time, he's in the backseat of a car. He has control over his window. <laughs> he has a car phone and he knows Dee Dee. So he calls her from his car phone. And this private citizen gives Sanford Butler Jones permission to penetrate the roadblock. And the cop's just like, you sure, Mrs. Shore? Okay. If you say so, I guess I'll ignore what the sheriff said. Yeah. I, I, I suspect porn. Porn what? That the, the, This woman does porn. This guy is her co-star. And this is like a producer or director coming to see her. There's so much but, backstory missing from this movie. But she owns the town? What is then? happening? Is no. she porky? What's going on? She's just <laughs> rich enough to tell the cops what to do? Well, I I mean, honestly... I mean, yes, yes. the people who pay the most taxes get to tell the cops what to do. Remember in uh, Night of the Juggler? I think I'm entitled to some consideration. But to he a little consideration. He left. Well, he yeah, that's, that's because, you know, that's uh, Clemenza. He has, integrity. He has some integrity, yeah. And he wasn't seeing any of the money. Maybe this this township knows how to pay the money down down the line. Um, anyway, the chauffeur continues down the road. They come upon Susie riding her bike back to the house, so they they let her go down this road, even though. But it was just to be, to be clear, we never see that character again, right? Nope, nope. never again. It never, again. never comes back. Nope, we never even see like the car broken down on the side of the road. What They're... was the point of this scene? <laughs> I'll I'll get to the point of the scene possibly later. Okay way down in our cast notes because it's not in the rest of the movie as they pull up behind Susie riding her bike down the street Sanford Butler Jones in the back seat says she acts like she wants to die get around her now <laughs> and then his driver just nonchalantly changes lanes to go around the bicyclist like you would have anyway no one would have needed to tell you to do that she smiles pleasantly as they pass her and Sanford Butler Jones drives out of the movie forever. Uh, <laughs> Susie knocks on the Peterson's door to deliver a bag of apples. She just sort of wanders around the house uninvited. Yeah. There's, um, there's a weird reverse shot where it's played forward of her opening a door and looking in a room. And then the reverse of her she backs, backs out, out, of out of the room perfectly <laughs> the same. I, I like, didn't catch that. I was like, all right. A big old fluffy dog surprises her. But she wanders around this house for too long. It's like a 1313 movie. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then as she's coming down the stairs, the bag she's holding breaks and she just dumps all the apples down the stairs. So she leaves. <laughs> she just walks past all the apples she dropped and we just see her ride her bike back to the barn without the apples that she was delivering. Uh, so I would have done the same thing. She just like, left them. Here's your apples, I guess. down the stairs, <laughs> I guess. Because well, um, she was supposed to be paid for those apples. Yeah. So if you don't pay me, I'm just going to throw them on your floor. Yeah. So if yeah. I clean my house, I get free apples. That's what you're saying? So back at home, Paul, her younger brother, lunges out from behind her father's tractor, but he has black fingernails. And we hear a piece of the Friday the 13th soundtrack, which is actually predates the Friday the 13th soundtrack, but Friday the 13th came out first. He follows her into the barn with his arms outstretched, and we don't even see the only cute girl in this movie die. Uh, she screams as she is presumably fried in the barn, and Paul turns from her corpse to pursue the disgusted father, who came back in time for supper. Yep. I feel uh, like all this movie has going for it are these kill scenes. You can't skimp on them. You yeah. can't not show us. There's one that I understand why they did it, and I think it works really oh, well. Oh, yeah. Sure. 
I know what you're um, getting at. Yeah. And he turns to the father and he goes, Daddy, Daddy. And then we cut away. Uh, John and the sheriff are getting to John's home and he heads inside to find his wife, Kathy. Clarky pops out to surprise him with transparent fingernails. This is the kid that stayed home sick. Kathy fell asleep on a recliner in her painting room. She is nine months <laughs> pregnant. Paint. Yeah. She's <laughs> nine months pregnant in a room full of drying paint uh, asleep. She mentions that she passed the bus on her way home uh, from the doctor and that she saw all the kids that they were on the bus. So there's no reason that the bus would be empty on the side of the road. Clarky slides down the banister to surprise them as uh, mommy says, oh, it's time to go to bed. And he's like, but I'm hungry. And she's like, well, I made a pot roast. If uh, you want to have dinner, I guess I could feed you too. In addition to housing you. One of the other parental jobs. It also feels like four in the afternoon. Yeah, it was, it's still it was sunny broad out. daylight. Yeah. The kids were just supposed to be getting home from school, but go to bed. <laughs> it's it, like it must be like summer in the south somewhere. Yeah. So it's just like the sun doesn't set till like eight thirty. Yeah, I think they they make the point though that this is Raven's Claw, Massachusetts, or what? It, not Raven's, Raven's Claw. That's a <laughs> Harry, Harry Potter, Potter school. What is it called? Ravensburg. Ravensback. Ravensback. Ravens got back. Ravens got back. That's so Ravens got back. <laughs> this is dumb uh molly calls to sheriff billy hart on the radio and deputy harry timmons gets the call at the roadblock molly says that leslie called from the gould house leslie is the crazy one miss button Mm -hmm. um somehow she operated a phone she (laughs) she called molly crying and then the line went dead the deputy leaves the brothers uh brothers in charge of the roadblock and he heads out to the gould house on his way, he passes the school bus again, now inexplicably parked on the cemetery side of the road. He finds three kids in the middle of the road, and he radios to Molly that he found them. <laughs> As he's getting out of the car here, he says, Hey, 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 Harry the Hawk does it again. Like this has <laughs> happened before, maybe? Wait, wasn't that the name of one of the songs? Yes. Yeah. Harry the Hawk. That was, it's a reference to this moment, probably. Oh, I would love to hear the song for this moment. <laughs> I would, too. We get more stompy Friday the 13th score as we see Harry's point of view as these creepy kids are smiling with their arms outstretched. But we cut away from that. And uh, Molly at the shop tries to reach the sheriff again. And he gets the call just as he's coming out of John and Kathy's place. It's hours later now. So maybe they actually did sit down and eat that whole pot roast while these kids were missing. But he hears her on the on the radio in his cruiser and he runs to answer. She relays that Harry has found the children. And John runs back to the house and says, Oh, Kathy, Harry found them. Before he knows if they're corpses or not. He's, all, <laughs> all he knows is they found them. They decide they're going to head out and meet up with Harry. Sheriff and John find Harry's abandoned cruiser on the side of the road just past the bus. And then they find Harry's corpse in the bushes on the side of the bus. Also abandoned. On on the side of the road, sorry. Also abandoned. <laughs> His abandoned corpse. No one is attending to this corpse. The sheriff here, uh, I noticed, he kind of looks like if Bill Nye and Craig T. Nelson had a baby. That's how I would describe this guy. They rush to the Gould house down the street and pound on the doors to no avail. Uh, they eventually get in and explore the house and find Leslie's irradiated corpse still draped over the piano where it was the last time we saw it. The phone is dead and they hear a thump from inside the closet. So John slowly opens the door to reveal a dead Doberman and possibly leaned against the closed door from inside. Uh, this is the scene that we when we watch the trailer, they go, that's a weird way to open a door. Yeah, it's like you're checking it for heat or something. Yeah, so first John's going to open the door and the sheriff pulls his gun. My guess is that 
they're going to surprise if someone's in there at gunpoint. But the moment the door opens, the sheriff just opens fire. Yeah, if this was a kid falling yeah. forward, he would have shot the kid. What, what if there was a kid hiding from the whatever is killing people? Like uh, the, someone's in there hiding. But he hits this dog four times before it hits the floor. <laughs> yeah. But apparently it was already dead. But <laughs> That's the story, John. <laughs> yeah. We're sticking to it. We're gonna, we've decided this dog was dead, right? But the dog is roasted <laughs> just like all the people. So did the kids roast this dog and then tuck it into the closet against the door after they burnt it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So now they're moving over to Molly's to use her phone. And it's dead, too. The sheriff just blurts out everything that's happened and all the people who have died before the next of kin have been notified. They go and grab guns off the rack in her store and ask if she'll be all right here. And she says, anybody tries to get in here, I'll blast their ass to kingdom come. Well, and and he and I like that he's like telling Molly what he's taking off the shelves. So she yeah. can like bill him later. It's like, I'm going to take a couple rounds of, 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 of shells here. He's like, I'm going to need some double O's. Outside Colin's diner, the waitress gives up waiting for the sheriff to show up. That's a sad story. They just, they finished her arc with, oh yeah, he was supposed to go on a date and uh, he never came back. And she doesn't get killed or anything. She just gets in her car and leaves. And that's, a weird story that's the line. end of her story. The sheriff and John find Janet in the road now. John puts his arms on her, and the sheriff grabs her around her arms, but they don't get burned. So apparently the child has to literally envelop you in a hug. It's not just a contact burn. Well, but her fingernails aren't black. Oh, they're not? No, they, they, they okay. turn black while she's sitting in the back of oh, the squad okay. car. Because it plays that like... Music. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> they move her to the back seat of the cruiser. I want you just to loop that little yep. bit. So it's two minutes. Constantly going in the background of everything that we're saying right now. <laughs> just sounds like Richard never stopped making that sound for the rest of the episode. <laughs> uh, no, it's going to fade out right now. <laughs> just kidding now. <laughs> They move her into the backseat of the cruiser, assuming she's in shock, and she passes out pretty quickly after they start to drive away. Uh, They take Janet to her home, and John heads in to find the parents and let them know what's going on. Food has been left burning on the stovetop, and he stupidly grabs a pot lid, just barehanded, and he finds some lobster in there. But he hurts himself in the process, because... And and their dining room has a chandelier made up of hundreds of actually burning candles that's impressive i don't even know how you light it how, how it would take you 40 minutes to light the chandelier one of the candles would already be dead by the time you were done yeah did you guys not think that was weird no that was totally normal i do that whenever i cook john runs back outside and finds janet's father jack or possibly father the muscle guy uh sitting in a chair by the pool and uh, he accidentally knocks him into the pool, but then as he's helping him out, he realizes this guy's dead and he's roasted. And then he finds T.D. Shore's body off in the weeds on his way back to the sheriff. So both of this girl's parents are dead. Janet's in the back seat and she wakes up from her nap. This is where her fingernails go from clear to black. I'm pretty sure the fingernail thing is a reference to those film badges that people wear at nuclear power plants. Um, I was thinking about that, but also there were I was trying to look up some kind of connection between radiation and fingernails. Oh. And from my cursory research, um, darkening of nails can be like a common side effect of getting chemotherapy. Oh. But apparently there's a really horrifying thing of some survivors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki having 
Losing the fingernails completely? Or? No, they would grow rod-shaped fingernails that actually contained blood vessels. Oh, weird. Huh. Um, so, I, I don't know, but I think your theory, Pat, is closer to what this is actually supposed to be. Yeah, because when you- I thought it was along the lines of just representing that they were maybe dead already because that, blood pools in, in your fingers when you die. That's possible, too. I just thought that because they get the, seem to get the radiation powers when the fingernails turn black- that it's specifically a reference to when you work at a nuclear power plant, they give you a little badge that has a, a strip of like photographic film in it. And that will turn completely black if it's exposed to unexpected radiation. So you can tell if you're in a danger zone, if your film turns black and if it turns like the darkest shade, then it's like, okay, th- this is, this person is not savable. Yeah. Like if you find someone that's unconscious and their thing isn't totally black at you, you can save them. What happens if it turns black? Do I get a new one? Yeah, we'll just get you a second one, and you could just keep it here in your in your I thought, zone. I thought you were going to respond with the MacGyver comment. I, like, I forget what he says. That's <laughs> he, from Flames End, Season 1, Episode 14. Yeah, he, he says, so when it turns all black, do I get a new one? He goes, no, you get a coffin. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Oh, MacGyver. Janet reaches over the seats for the sheriff, and he is surprisingly terrified of it, considering he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Well... If I saw a hand of any kind coming at me from behind, I'd be like, Bleh. If it was from the backseat of a car where I'd put a child and knew that none of the doors of the car had opened, I would assume it was the child. Uh, a, a helpless little girl. Eh, children but are creepy. He, like, freaks out to the point that he literally falls out of the driver's side door and then he's shouting to John. Try to attack me, John. What? Dad, he's alone. You're going to get me home. She tried to attack me, John. And John's like, what do you mean she tried to attack you? He's like, I don't know. If she came at me, she was coming right in my throat. <laughs> what are you talking about? She barely got an arm over your shoulder. But then she also, runs away. All these children are so jolly when they reach their hands out to you. Yeah. They possibly look like an attack. But then they drive away and they leave the only kid they found of these five just alone in the wilderness based on this weird hunch that she's trying to murder them. Like, they don't, they haven't seen these kids kill anybody. They don't know what's causing it. We cut back to Johnny Kathy's home. Kathy's working in the kitchen, and Jenny approaches the house from the outside. Molly is sitting in a chair in her shop asleep with a gun, and she wakes up to find a row of kids lit from below outside her window, like the children of the corn or something. She's ecstatic, and she radios the sheriff and says i found the kids everything's gonna be great and somehow she leaves the handset on yeah as she moves outside to die by their tiny hands and uh <laughs> she's just screaming bloody murder through the radio at the sheriff yeah i, I though my note was there I was like that's not how radios work yeah, yeah. No. unless she like dropped it at a very convenient angle or something it's holding the button down uh kathy enjoys a nice cigarette on the couch and apologizes to her unborn fetus yeah i was like what sorry john and the sheriff burst into the house with rifles refusing to tell kathy anything shortly after having told molly everything for no reason uh john runs upstairs to check on clarky who is asleep in bed under his superman and muppet show posters he closes clarky's window and blinds and heads back downstairs the sheriff gives kathy a look and she closes her eyes forlornly presumably having correctly guessed that her daughter is still missing and also a radiation zombie. Uh, She asks again what's going on, and for no reason they tell her that Harry is dead, but they lie about how he died to avoid accidentally protecting her later. Uh, They shout at her to make coffee. Sweetheart, make you some coffee, will you? John, please. Make the damn coffee! (laughs) You pregnant woman. Make us coffee. 
We demand coffee. We have guns. <laughs> uh, the sheriff and John learn on the news that Kathy apparently was not watching that these attacks are happening all over the tri-state area. Um, Jenny punches through the screen to unlock the outer door to the home, but the inner door is still locked. So this, <laughs> I this love scene that. is pointless. <laughs> I love that. It's like, I can punch through the screen. Ah, oh, it's still locked. <laughs> I can punch through the glass. Nah, that's going to hurt. The sheriff exhaustedly turns off the TV to avoid being over-informed on the menace and moves into the kitchen where coffee is being made. Kathy notices outside that Jenny is standing in the yard and runs to her very quietly. Like, oh, my daughter's outside. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to go hug her. And uh, <laughs> she, Jenny offers up a big hug to Kathy, but John catches her just barely in time, and the sheriff chases the Jenny monster out into the yard. John and the sheriff move into the barn in the yard and they find jenny right away and despite having chased his wife away from this monster the dad immediately grabs her hand to help her up and the whole hand gets cooked but the sheriff tears him away and they escape so now he's just lost use of a hand another kid janet surprises the sheriff and takes two slugs in the chest very suddenly this could have been like a live kid who knows but uh, <laughs> he, he shoots her twice in the chest and she collapses, but then pounces immediately back up to chase them out of the barn. Around here, I noticed it's super helpful to my notes that each of the titular children on IMDb have uh, their profile pic is of them in this movie wearing their costumes. So thank God none of them ever worked again or this podcast episode might have been negligibly more work for me. Uh, <laughs> Sheriff and John hobble away from the kiddos. Kathy fetches John a bowl of ice for his hand while Sheriff Hart watches the children convene under a tire swing in the yard. Kathy goes to check on Clarkie and notices that the sheriff is shooting children outside. <laughs> <laughs> and because they haven't explained anything to her, she runs downstairs to stop him. She knocks him unconscious with a vase. Yep. And then John runs in and says, oh, no, 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 the, the kids are monsters. Jenny did this to my hand. She doesn't believe it, but she, she's just in shock, basically. Because they didn't, they didn't give her time to absorb this information. They kept it secret until now. Paul climbs outside of Clarkie's window and knocks on it. Or scratches at it, I guess. And then Clarkie's like, oh, Paul's here. Come on in. Let's play hide and seek. So Kathy hears the closet door close in his room. Because Clarkie went to hide in the closet. And she goes up to check on him. And he's dead already. Oh, yes. Clarkie died. I did not expect no, this. This was the most disturbing part of this entire movie. It was actually a really dark turn. They open the door and there's just a body of a young child laying there. And I like that we didn't hear the screaming or the burning because I was sure someone was just going to come up and save this kid at the last second. And for me to not know until I saw it that he was going to be dead made it much more effective, I thought. Yeah. I think that was actually a pretty cool move. So it does, it does raise some questions for me about how this radiation affects people <laughs> sure because thus far it, it hasn't been affecting children it well it it affects children in so much as it turns them into these you know zombie creatures that want to cheerfully hug people to their death but it doesn't kill the children or at least it you know it turns them into you know living dead but adults, it seems to not affect at all unless they're touched by these children. Because right. the bus driver presumably went through this fog with the children and was mm -hmm. fine until the children attacked him. Yes. And the same thing is true for Kathy. Uh, Kathy. Because she went through this fog too and was fine. Right. But we'll get to that. Yeah. That she wasn't totally fine. Kathy turns to run away from Clarkie's room and Paul chases her down the stairs. 
and John shoots him middle of the chest with a shotgun and blows him up over the railing onto the floor. <laughs> it's pretty awesome looking. And uh, he immediately jumps back up to attack her again. And the sheriff takes Paul's hands off with a fucking katana <laughs> that he just took off of the wall in the background. Uh, I don't know why this would ever have been a move that he would have considered, but this is where they learn that cutting off the hands is how you kill these things. John goes upstairs to mourn his son in a really touching, sad moment for this dad who already lost one daughter, presumably. He's just trying to keep the, put, his remaining him, children alive. He puts him back in bed. Yeah. It's a, it's a sad moment. The The mother asks where Jenny is, and he says, she's one of them, Kathy. And she says, no, Jenny's, Jenny's our daughter. daughter. She was our daughter. She still is for me. You forget what she did to me. How dare she? She burned my hand. Let's kill her. Yeah, Our daughter. They're they're all losing their grip. And yeah. I love the sheriff's like, those hands. Yeah. Those hands. So the sheriff picks back up shooting at the kids. But suddenly Ellen grabs him through his shooting window because she snuck right up to it. And he slices off one of her hands with the same sword. And she collapses backward into the garden below the window. John and the sheriff go on a search for the last three remaining kids forever yeah they know how to kill them now they explore a basement for like five full minutes and find nothing like they come out with an axe but that's all that the progress they made in this basement scene then they go to a tool shed and they also find nothing except for apparently there's somebody hiding in there throwing chickens at them uh because as soon as they open the door a chicken comes flying full speed out of it like <laughs> slams into the door you know that a, a production assistant just hucked this chicken at the wall <laughs> that was not just a chicken jump for sure uh they notice that the tire swing is moving and so they head back toward the barn where they discover the three kids left and the sheriff shoves john aside before just axing the shit out of these last three kids well because john hesitates yeah because uh one of the kids he's is a daughter. sucker oh yeah that too that could be a reason i think he's just a sucker Uh, they wander slowly out of the barn you know depressed because they just murdered a bunch of children and uh the sheriff wanders over to sit in his cruiser for a second and tries to radio in what happened when one-handed ellen gets him from the back seat john angrily slashes her to shreds with the katana (laughs) then he walks back around the car and he pulls the sheriff's corpse out of the car and lays it across his lap and sleeps until morning (laughs) he doesn't go in the house where his nine-month pregnant wife is worried that he's dead i'm sure she'll just have another cigarette yeah he just sleeps there with this dead guy in his lap and uh never fills his wife in on what happened (laughs) suddenly we hear her calling for help and he freaks out and runs into the house and we find that her water has broken and it's just this charming oh i thought you were getting killed by atomic children but you just your water broke okay well okay let's move you to the bed I'll get you some water. We have a quick montage with like happy music. Then these slow panning shots across these kids with stump arms. And then just piles of hands and fried corpses. Ellen's in like a dozen pieces on the side of this car. Like her legs and arms and hands and head are all separated from each other. Uh, Kathy has the baby. And uh, later John wakes up to her breastfeeding it. And moves to kiss her on the forehead. And then he looks down and he notices in horror that the baby has black fingernails so when she did go through the fog it did affect her yes it well, affected, it affected the fetus. the right. fetus because the children when going through the fog get affected i get that and i listened to like five other podcasts review this movie 
in preparation for this and all of them were like they really don't explain how this baby ever came in contact with the fog and i was like when i rewatched it the second time i was like it happens in the first scene it's just that every character in this movie is completely interchangeable and you forgot who that was yeah totally you definitely had to watch this movie more than once to catch that but you but, don't have to watch this movie more than once. But nobody watches this movie more than once, <laughs> yeah. except us, because we're crazy people. Yeah. Um, I, I will admit that my my first viewing, because I wasn't sure how scary it was going to be, <laughs> <laughs> was was a, a PG version <laughs> of, of watching this movie, there, where every time it started to get intense, I was like, okay, scrub, 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 get past this part. <laughs> It um, really doesn't get that bad. Yeah, I, I I gave it I gave it a better look when it wasn't dark out. Yeah, um, <laughs> to watch. It. Richard is not a fan of zombie movies in general. This is us torturing him, making him watch the zombie stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, presumably this couple is also either killed by the statewide rash of atomic zombies or arrested for the murder and dismemberment of several unprovably zombie children because they turn back into normal kids after you kill them. It's Just like dead normal kids yeah. in many pieces. So it's very unfortunate for them. But apparently there was other kids that were affected by this across the state, which I don't understand. I guess understand. the cloud just kept blowing. Oh, is that the implication? But it only hit kids like... Well, it didn't affect the adults. That's, a that's lucky what I'm cloud, saying. I guess, yeah. But I but then it, it don't affects dogs. <laughs> like no, no it didn't. The, kid, the kids, the kids, the kids killed the dogs. But that's what for I'm saying. For some like, reason, so the, when they touch things, it affects them. What it is, it, it's a first hand and second hand. So first hand, it makes you a zombie. Second hand, it makes you get burnt. First hand, it makes you a zombie if you're a child. And I guess. Second hand, it will. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if this maybe the kids have their windows down. Driver's licenses. I like, don't know. At what point do we? not turn into a zombie i don't know the rules of this um i do know that none of it involves birds at all besides the town having raven in its name so uh yeah i i guarantee you that that drawing was done when the title was still the children of raven's back yes and then when they shortened it to just the children they took out any references to ravens in the title and forgot that that has nothing to do with the story. This weird taloned claws coming out of the children. And not only, sense. not only is it a weird choice, and it looked like it was like a, a rough draft of it. It also looks like a high schooler drew it. Like it looks like something that would be scribbled on the back of a textbook, not like in a feature film. <laughs> the director for this film, I said before, was the very unpopular on set, Max Kalmanowicz. This was his second to last directing credit before Dreams Come True in 84, which is another trauma film, although I think that was actually produced by trauma. His most recent credits are all sound mixing and boom operating, actually. The writer Carlton J. Albright, Just This, and Dreams Come True, and Luther the Geek. The other writer, Edward Terry, was the original director, and he doesn't have any other credits other than Luther the Geek. The music here was Harry Manfredini. He has lots of credits that we went through in our Friday the 13th review, but that's probably still his most celebrated work, and the bulk of his IMDb page is Friday sequels, like Next Friday and Friday After mm-hmm. Next. Uh, no, he didn't do those. He did the Friday the 13th movies. Martin Shakar, or Shaker, uh, was John Fremont. He was Travolta's priest brother, Frank Jr., in Saturday Night Fever. He also plays Adams in Invasion USA, which is one of my favorite Golan Globus productions. They played at the New Beverly all the time. Uh, Gil Rogers was Sheriff Billy Hart. He plays a gangster in Blast of Silence. Did you watch Blast of Silence with me? That was part of Patton Oswalt's festival. It was it does a, not sound familiar. It's a really cool gangster movie where like an assassin is sent to kill a mob boss. 
but um, it's good stuff. Gail Garnett was Kathy Fremont. She'll be back later this year in Bob Clark's Tribute. That's what the film's called, Tribute. And she's the voice of Francesca in Mad Monster Party. Yeah. Shannon Boleyn played Molly. She doesn't have a lot of credits, but this is her last one. Joy Glackham was Susie McKenzie. She'll show up next year in The Prowler. And she just passed away in September of last year. Uh, fairly young, I think. That's the girl that was flirting with uh, with the deputy. Uh, Jephtha Evans was Paul McKenzie, presumably a sibling of Clara Evans, another of the titular children. Clara Evans was Jenny Fremont, so even though they're siblings, they were not playing siblings in the film. The only other Evans in the credits is Judith Evans for paintings, uh, which is possibly the mother of these two. Not the nude paintings credit, though. That was Rez Williams is credited for nude paintings. I didn't even see any nude paintings in this movie. Sarah Albright was Ellen Chandler. She is the daughter of the writer and the sister of fellow child Nathaniel Albright, who also plays a paramedic in nine episodes of Law and Order. Uh, Peter Maloney was Frank. I don't remember who Frank was. Well, Hank and Frank are oh, Frank, the, yeah, the, yeah, twins. the twins. Yeah, Peter Maloney. Oh, okay, that's Bennings then. Yeah. He's Bennings in The Thing. We just had him as Lee McHugh in Hide in Plain Sight. He was one of the reporters that interviews James Conn as he's coming out of the courthouse. I, I found, I was trying to figure out who Lee McHugh was in that movie without having to watch it over again. And I Googled it. And what I found was an article by Lee something else. I forget the, that guy's last name, who Lee McHugh was based on. And it was him complaining about how reporters are portrayed in film. And he said, I myself had the displeasure of being portrayed in film uh, in this terrible movie called Hide in Plain Sight. And I was just like, oh, this is like the actual guy that the character was playing complaining about it. Peter Maloney, he's great. Jesse Abrams was Clarky Fremont. He has the same last name as a cinematographer. Who knows? Rita Montone played Dee Dee Shore. She's a hooker in Maniac, which IMDb calls a 1980 film, but it was first released in America in 81, in case you're wondering why we haven't covered it. Martin Brennan played Sanford Butler Jones. It's possible he's only in this film because he allegedly dealt cocaine to the entire cast and crew <laughs> during the production. And J.D. Clark plays Jim, and then in parentheses, Hard Hat. I'm guessing he's one of the guys walking away from the plant at the beginning. Yeah. His only other credit was City Slicker in Wanda, Nevada, which was written by Dennis Hacken, the screenwriter of our previous episode, Bronco Billy the special effects makeup artists and the makeup artists for the film went on and continue on to have illustrious makeup careers. I would hope so. Cause it actually uh, looks really great. Like one of them worked on the Irishman. Oh really? Um, yeah. Like so it was still like, working. Well, this makeup was the best part of this movie by far. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think the score actually works in places. It's, it's I guess it just movie. feels derivative to me because I'm so familiar with Friday the 13th and Psycho that I'm just like, yeah, yeah, this isn't very original. But it's actually before Friday the 13th and it's the same guy. So it's not even derivative. It's re-rivative. I don't know. Rivative? It's rivative. <laughs> the music was rivative. <laughs> yeah. So uh, one of the makeup artists, Carlo, uh, Carlo White, recent credits are The Irishman, Joker, Joy, the audition, which is crazy. Uh, the intern. What's the audition? Uh, that was a Robert De Niro, like it was a short thing. Oh, okay. But I don't know that but one. he she a lot of her credits are to Mr. De Niro, so she she must be his, his specifically. Yeah. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook to again to De Niro. I imagine in the Irishman, a lot of her work was getting covered up by computers, which would be unfortunate. 
Uh, probably. But I, I just thought it was interesting that that the makeup, you know, these are early early makeup career uh, sort of both the uh, makeup artists and uh, they went on to well, bigger and better things. If anyone here deserved to go on to bigger and better things, it was the makeup artist. Jess, is this an up or down for you? This is a big old down. Richard, what do you think? Uh, this is going to be a down. Um, yeah, I'm not into it. I'm also going to give it a down. It was It's a fun single-serving horror movie, but it's really not worth your time. There's more important stuff to see, I think. Lists. All right, Richard, where's this going on the list? Um, I am putting this... Uh, I am putting this below up the academy but above nothing personal below up the academy really yeah wow okay you hated this i guess i should have expected that wait is that like how many from the bottom is that for you it's really close it's it's really close to the bottom yeah it's in the bottom 10 right or the 11 yeah jeez jess i mean i guess i'm i'm pretty close to the bottom too but i'm not quite that far down i think I will put this above the Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood, but below Private Eyes, which puts it, I don't know, about 11 from the bottom, I guess. Okay. So so exactly where I have mine. Yes. About 11 <laughs> from the bottom. All right. I'm going to put mine, let's say about 11 from the No, uh, I'm not. I'm putting it higher than that. It's going to go just below Windows and just above Death Ship, which is like 20 from the bottom. I recounted it. It's 12 for Jones. Oh, okay. It's 12 okay. from the bottom. So yeah, I, I she like loved this, this movie. <laughs> she, I lo- she liked she that movie. She ordered two copies of it, even though it's 8% free. more than me. I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous... You can support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing The Island, which IMDb describes like so. A journalist takes his son with him to investigate pirate activity off the coast of Florida, but he gets stranded on a mysterious island where he might not be alone. That undersells the movie by a long shot. I am actually so glad I didn't hear that before I watched the movie. I didn't know anything going into that. I'm glad we watched it ahead of time. Come back for the island next time. Come back. We'll leave you now with the trailer for the island. The Caribbean. A vacationer's paradise. And yet this region was once a stronghold for outcasts, thieves, and murderers. A savage race that vanished hundreds of years ago. But what if there were survivors? And what if they kept their existence a secret from the outside world? What if someone found out? The island where civilization as we know it has taken a bizarre turn. Who are you? I mean, all of you are. Are you some kind of religious cult? If I'd wanted to hit you, I could have hit you. How dare you speak to your father like that? You're not my father. Stop this, make-believe. Fire!
pirates. I know it sounds crazy, but you better believe me. All those who have discovered the island have never been seen again. The Island. The super thriller from the author of Jaws and the Deep. Find the main odd man. Cut his throat. Now, the most terrifying thing in the water is the island.